0: Welcome
1: along to the Rocky Road Boxing Podcast with me, your host, Kevin Byrne. Today's guest has an incredible story in and out of the ring. From County Mead, he was Irish Junior Light Heavyweight Champion in 1981, the year his family uprooted and moved to America. It proved to be the land of opportunity for a young Seamus McDonough. Inside a couple of years, he had become Golden Gloves Champion of New York in the Heavyweight Division, where Muhammad Ali himself made a presentation. Fast forward another few years, and he's rubbing shoulders with another all time heavyweight great of the, of the sport when he's paired with a Vander Holyfield in Atlantic City with a shot at the most glittering prize in sport on the line. Those snapshots really only tell half the story. So, luckily, Seamus joins us today to fill in the blanks and a lot more besides. Seamus, there's a quote from you in the brilliant new book by Eamon Carr I didn't like fighting, but with 23 bouts after an impressive amateur career, it must have liked you. I guess so, you could say that. I um
2: at times I loved it. I loved the training. Uh and when I when I uh ran into trainers who were really good trainers, I loved the the, the techniques I loved this science of boxing and, and uh uh but uh, yeah so uh uh I I I I always say that I didn't like boxing. You know, I wasn't uh, my my brother John, who's a year younger, a year younger than me, uh, still in Ireland in Enfield County Meath. He was a much better fighter than me. Well, I won't say much better, but he was a better fighter than me, tougher man than me. I always say, and uh, but he uh, he he won the Golden Gloves in Chicago a couple of years before I won the Golden Gloves in New York, and um, he had another fight after that. Would have he, he was out of he, he fought a a, a, a a U.S. ranked guy. And he shouldn't have been in the room with him, and he got a broken nose a lot of pain. And and he just uh, he he'd get out of boxing then. And uh but he was a tougher, tougher fighter than me, and and, and had won much more uh, amateur acclaim than I did. And uh, then he got out of it. And I here I was left. I actually, just to be totally honest, I was telling somebody the other day, I turned pro to pay for my second semester at St. John's University in in the in New York. English literature. English literature, yeah.
1: <laughs> With the pre-pre professional option in business, <laughs> did your brother prefer boxing? Did he like it more? It was he, he. You say he was more natural. Did he prefer it?
2: Well, he was. He's tougher. I was. I was more uh, um, fearful. I have to use the word fearful. Uh, Because that's that's a, that's a, uh, domino, uh, word in my life and in the world, even today, uh, the word fearful. And, uh, I, uh, just had too many fears, worries, concerns, uh, dread, all that stuff about fighting, performing, being, doing anything in front of people, opening my mouth, just being in the ring with my shirt off,
1: you know, all that. But, uh, um, yeah. You're definitely a proponent of feel the fear and do it anyway. Then I guess because you confronted it, you did it. I, I did, I did. You know, and uh, when I was in good
2: sh- good shape and and uh, am well prepared, I didn't have as much fear. But I but for some reason, I always had fear. I run out of juice. I I won't be able to go the whole distance. And you know,
1: 10 ten ten or twelve round fights, you know that's that's
2: <laughs> it's uh, it's uh,
1: daunting. So the, but I guess the fear can be a massive motivator in training and getting you ready as well. If you fear I'm going to be like sometimes even preparing for an interview, you might fear you've got nothing to say or nothing to ask. So you might do extra, you know, research and, you know, research, to, you know, to be extra prepared. And maybe that's what leads to a little bit of excellence, not excellence on my part, but excellence on the boxer's part. If you feel fear is a natural thing, I think like um, the butterflies, some people call them and then other people feel nothing.
2: Exactly, exactly. Well, I'm also a recovered alcoholic. I haven't had a drink in almost 28 years. And uh, alcoholics seem to be a, of this very sensitive type. Everything seems to bother us. And, and uh, I, I, I hate, like, like I ha- that's why I ended up in Ireland. So a lot of Irish people end up in Ireland because uh, they're Irish. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, because, because it's a mild climate it's a very mild climate, not too hot not too cold um i my son I have, a, I have a son and I was born in Charlottesville Virginia, and I could not live there. I was there in the summertime uh I'd never been there in the wintertime but there in the summertime and it's so hot I just couldn't stand it It'd drive me crazy uh so uh i'm a uh we're very sensitive very sensitive types and and uh um which they say is intelligence. Some would disagree, but as they say <laughs> <You can claim laughs> a it. sign, a sign.
1: <laughs> what were you born in, Seamus? Is it is it right? Were you born in England and moved to Ireland at a, a ten or eleven?
2: <laughs> yes, my my parents uh, like like all of their generation went. There wasn't, as as you know, there was no real no industrial revolution in Ireland. So they all went to England to to work. My parents met in Birmingham. Uh, I was born in the sixties in Birmingham, and when I was about ten. And uh, my dad wanted to raise us in Ireland. So he brought the whole family back to Ireland. And and we lived in Mullhuddard, right down the street from the Dolly Heffern for a while. And uh, we went to school in Blanchett Town. And while we were going to school there, uh, my father, Jim Jim McDonough, from, uh, he's from uh, Kilchimagh in County Mayo, the same
1: village that um,
2: uh, I forgot his Tony's, name. Gene,
1: Gene Tony's father, father, mother and father are both from Kilchimagh, I believe.
2: Yes, yeah. exactly. I, I met I met his his son uh, or son or nephew, i can not remember which, which was, uh, yeah, from the same village, uh, which is it's a oh. tiny little village. I was I was there a couple of years ago. My yeah. folks
1: are from Swinford, so not not too far away. You know, just the next town. Really, over. yeah, yeah. So we have we
2: have we have relatives in Swinford also.
1: Also, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess the diaspora was massive for Ireland. So, did you ever feel like an outsider in England and an outsider in Ireland? Because you're an Irish kid in England and an English kid in Ireland. Not that you were an English kid in Ireland, but maybe that's what bullies or people would taunt yeah. you as.
2: That's that's exactly what happened when I was in Ireland. Uh, we were considered English. We were considered Irish in England. Then we moved from England to Ireland. We considered English in Ireland, uh, and a little bit of you know uh, uh, what that went on. And uh, but, we, but but we we're just like everybody else, and we're we're so similar to the English anyway. You know, it's just. All all this, uh, I have a little, a little uh, motto that I that led to live by, nobody
1: wins in a fight. Except the guy who gets his hand raised. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, there's a deeper but a philosophical meaning with this one. Yes,
2: totally. Nobody wins in a fight. So I have to cease fighting everyone and everything.
1: Did you, I mean, to be blunt, did, did you fight, did you enter boxing and fight for your father's approval? He was such a big boxing fan.
2: Not really for his approval. Just had no choice. He he just just he, he started the club in Enfield, uh, when I was about eleven. We were there for the year. Started club in behind the petrol station, uh, the Shell petrol station, owned by Jimmy Gurry. and I worked for Jimmy Gurry doing the pet pumping there, uh, doing the petrol. And uh, they built a little uh, a ring in the balcony of the snooker hall in the back. And he started the club there, and within a couple of years, he was one of the best clubs in, in, in Meath. And then one of the best clubs in Leinster, and then almost one of the best clubs in the country. He was so obsessed with boxing.
1: Yeah, and I believe that you, uh, you used to spar and fight with a young uh, Barry McGuigan. As a, you were 12, he was 14 or whatever. So obviously graduated into different weights, but you often hear about, you know, when you're kids, you're kids, and you end up fighting
0: yeah. each
2: other. Yeah that that's uh, we uh,
1: Bar- no one would spar Barry
2: because he 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 would not he you know he hit so hard but my brother John and I would spar him and no problem he come up, he came up to spar with us many times uh and uh I actually fought him one time you know and uh he had had a fight that night this is probably before they had you know uh, too many uh, limitations on how you know fighting twice in one night he fought, and I saw him fighting, and he had a great right hand to the body. So I saw him knock some guy out, some some one of the one of the young fell out, and then they wanted to fight me. And I he was I was about seven seven pounds a half stone heavier than him, but he was a couple of years older than me, a year and a half older than me actually. And um, my dad, of course, would throw me in anybody. So he he wouldn't he wouldn't. That's that's the wrong right bad thing to say about him. He he, uh, he had confidence.
1: He said, yeah, had we, faith in we you. He had
2: faith in you. <laughs> yeah, I get. Maybe boy, that's boy it will was, fight yeah. anybody. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. So he threw me, threw me, had me fight him. And I, I remember, I just kept my left arm, left elbow down. So Barry would throw that right hand to the body, hit me on the on the on the arm all the time. I just, I guess, I uh, um, threw enough punches to win the fight. And
1: uh, uh, yeah, so that was uh, and and uh, uh, yeah. Anyway. And a, a few years later, you're fighting on this undercard back in Dublin. We'll get to that. We'll get That's to that right. in, in yeah. a few minutes. Um Yeah. You eventually, you know, win a few Irish champion, uh, Irish titles and graduated yeah. to, to win the Irish junior championships in uh, 1981. Do you, what do you, what do you recall about those days? About that victory? Well, at the,
2: at the time uh, I was 18 at the time. I, I, i finished secondary school at at the uh, at uh at uh what was the name of the school the cock the scock christian brother school at the time the uh the, the the uh principal was father, brother uh uh brother was brother Whelan, not brother Whelan. brother nolan was the principal yes and um so gradually i just thought uh you just go on to college, or you do, you know. But I had never I didn't apply for college. I just thought you just walk in there and go. And and then I realized that I'm it's the end of the summer, uh, and there's nothing to do. And someone said they're looking for people to work in the in the leaf chewing gum factory, which was across the street from the from the from the girls' school, which is called the convent, um, where all the girls went to school in Kilcock. So I applied for a job there and I worked for uh my friend Mick O'Neill was my supervisor in in the in the in the um, in the back, whatever they call that area in the back where they drive the forklifts and the and the uh, wherever they they fill the containers with, with chewing gum. So I went back there, and um, while I was back there, uh, I uh, I actually loved I loved working there. And uh, the uh, juniors came along, uh, which were in Jan, usually in January, I think, at the time. And this was like um November, December and I, I trained pretty hard and uh uh I went in the juniors and I was only eighteen and uh I won them. And then having won the juniors, who was uh, uh my dad my father's a male as we just established. He um there was a male team going to Chicago to fight against the Chicago team. So they since my dad father was from uh, uh um I'm trying not to sound American here. <laughs> Since my father was my father was from Mayo, they asked uh, they had a box off with me and Johnny Flynn from Roscommon, uh, He was uh, quite a few years older than me. Also, we had a box off. to See, whoever who won would go on, on on the team as the light heavyweight. So I, I I won the fight, and um, my dad and I got our passports and all that and uh, our, our visas, and we took off to. Uh, to uh chicago stopped in new york first and we we actually flew into i think we flew into kennedy and then we uh, took a, a bus or something over to LaGuardia airport and flew up to chicago to to o'hare airport and uh jet lagged totally jet lagged <laughs> i yeah. think we fought like a day a day or two later in in yeah. chicago in in oak which is the south side and uh uh i fought uh tommy Oh, I forget his last name now. Tommy. I, I. 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 It said I had the fight of the night. I won the fight, and the next day I presented the mayor of Chicago. It was the next day. was, was the St. Patrick's Day parade. It's a big deal here in America, and uh, I um, got to present the mayor of Chicago with, with a with green hat. So, <laughs> I digress. Go class ahead. Class. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah I. I, <laughs> I have the list of them. Um, the finals from this, the the nineteen eighty one uh, Irish juniors. So you're you're a you're a yes. winner in the light heavyweight division, but uh, you succeeded. I think uh, you mentioned Johnny Flynn there. He was a runner up the previous year in an All Con yes. uh, light heavyweight final with Peter Ford from Ballinrobe. That's he right. Was on to play for uh, play for Mayo, didn't he? And manage the Sligo I, football team and great GA career. I actually, totally a great great career. The year after that, I I was I the year
2: after I came to uh, um, New York uh i flew back to fight in the seniors and um i'd fought in the gongols in, in new york i had lost in the quarterfinals A split decision another split decision uh I, I never actually i fought i think i had 17 fights or 16 fights in the golden not maybe not 16 fights too many like 14 fights 14 fights or 13 fights in the was in new york and i never got a decision i, I so my record in the gongglos was was uh, uh 11 and 2 with 11 knockouts yeah
1: so to, i never had to knock out to win
2: exactly yeah or or stoppage so i, I went back to ireland uh the year uh, the year later uh <clears throat> to fight in the seniors and i ended up uh i fought wally Burke, i think first who was a I was, I think, I was nineteen at the time. I fought Wally Burke, and uh, I beat Wally Burke. Uh, it was t- a close fight. Then I fought Peter Ford, and I beat Peter Ford. And then I fought, I think, it was a McKenna in the final from the north, and uh, I lost to him. It was this. Everyone, people, some people thought I won, but you know what? But I lost anyway. And uh, so I never won the senior. Never won a senior Ireland, but yeah, yeah.
1: got close. That would have been a yeah. dream, I'm sure, yeah. But look, you were, yeah, yeah. You were gone so early. Yeah. It's not as if you chose to have your amateur career, really, in uh, in Ireland. And I'm sure if you yeah. stuck around with that kind of pedigree, it probably would have yeah. come your way. Other fellow winners in, uh, along with yourself 1981, Mick Quinn from Castle Bar, a light flyweight. Then it goes, Tony Williamson, a flyweight. Tommy Tobin at Bantam. No McAvoy from Donorality. Tommy, I mean.
2: Tommy Tobin. Tommy Tobin, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, from, from uh, the yeah no McAvoy. Tommy from the Curragh. Yeah, no Tommy from the Cura. Oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Irish Ropes, yeah, yeah Newbridge, yeah, that'd be uh, Defence Forces, wouldn't it? Yeah, be? yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, McAvoy, yeah, no, no, yeah, from Denora Avenue. Peter Murphy from Drimna at Lightweight. Jim Toy at Light Welterweight. Jerome lockery uh, from Limerick at Welterweight. His, his brothers were Tony, he was a boxer as well, wasn't he? Paddy Root, Drimna, yeah. Terry Mahoney, St. Mary's, Tala. Seamus McDonough, Enfield. Wally Burke, Inish Free, and uh, Brendan dc at Super Heavyweight. That's your, uh, wow. and you were actually succeeded as a uh, light heavyweight champion. The following year by PJ Lawler of Paulstown. And in 1983, the light heavyweight champion, Jerry Story from, uh, from Holy Family. And uh, the winner the following year, I think Steve Collins at light, light heavyweight St. Saviors. So that's uh, a really? good lineage in that yeah. title, you know. There is, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, great. Uh, bigger's uh, and, courtesy and, uh, of the great Jerry Callan, uh, you know, the diette of Irish boxing journalism. I'm sure you know Jerry. Uh, Isn't it Was Jerry from Eden Derry? Jerry's from Monaghan,
2: Jerry's from Monaghan. Captain okay, Monaghan. okay. Yeah, yeah. A different, different lad that I'm thinking about. Uh, uh, wow, well, thanks but for you, the...
1: <laughs> the the trip Climb. down memory lane. But um, you you went to, you went across to New York and started just. It was knockout central, and like you say, you were presented with uh, when you finally won the Golden Gloves um, heavyweight division. You were presented with the with the award or the honour by none other than Muhammad Ali. That must have been an exceptional night for you. Was that was it at the Garden? The whole Storied histories. Everyone having everyone smoking at ringside. Smoke rising above the ring. Ali at ringside <laughs> yeah. jumping in. Hey, yes. probably making a quip about how the white guy win this.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, know, uh, I don't. Eyes, and, say. Thank uh, you.
2: Yes, I I don't know if he was actually at ringside when I was fighting, because afterwards, uh, after the fight was over, they bring you up an elevator up to this little tiny little room upstairs in the garden somewhere. And I didn't know this was happening. I just thought, well, I did not know where we were going, actually. even I, I don't even know if my trainers were with me. but I was brought up there, brought to this small little room, not much bigger than this room in now. It's the bedroom. And there was Muhammad Ali. And, uh, and, he, and I looked at him, he looked at me, and he says, What weight are you? And I said, uh, He says, I, I just won the heavyweights. Oh no. Let me see now. Oh no. Oh yeah, yeah. What the hell do you think now? Yes, heavyweight, yes. I just want that he says, you're a heavyweight? Because <laughs> he was twice my size. I said, yeah, you know, uh, and uh, he uh, he he had that he had that that expression on his face. Oh, did I lose you? No, no. He says, You're a heavyweight. <laughs> and uh, uh I said, yeah. And he gave me game of the golden gloves and
1: uh yeah. You actually get a set of golden gloves or what you know, what's it what's it like? You do.
2: You get a set of golden gloves with a diamond in them.
1: Are they, like actual size or you know presentation size uh, like- they're they're about um
2: how big were they you see you see all lads running run around the garden with them you know that had won them before yeah they're uh, this is way back uh, they're about uh, yes two inches yeah. and uh, do you still have them <laughs> it's a long story <laughs> uh, I think someone stole them off me <laughs> no they disappeared anyway so they disappeared
1: Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, when you, you yeah. said you mentioned when you're considering going pro, like you, that—that's you're quite marketable at this stage, aren't you? An Irish heavyweight in New York—they're yeah. always looking yeah. to find a great white hope. Yes, um,
2: yes. The next yes. big
1: thing, like this, is Jerry Cooney is just—you're looking yeah. to go pro. 1984, 1985, Cooney's still quite a name. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. Did you did you feel that like there was already momentum behind your your move towards the professionals? You said you went pro to pay for university or college, you know, but. You know, yeah. I know that I know that you went to visit Costamato. You know, you're yeah. an offer there to stay at his house. You might have met a young Mike Tyson. You didn't really know the guy, so maybe didn't really make an impression.
2: Yeah. But I, I, he did make an impression. I remember yeah. him, and uh, I, he had no name at that stage. I remember meeting him as he was a block of a lad, and uh, I guess he was about uh, fifteen or sixteen at the time. I was, I think, I was eighteen. And uh uh remember shaking hands with him and, and saying hello to him and, and uh meeting cuss and talking to Cuss and tuss, Cuss was talking a lot and was and I didn't know who Cuss was. No idea who he was. And uh or Mike Tyson or anybody was at the time. Mike didn't have a name back then. And uh uh but of course what, what I do found you mean out he afterwards like he didn't have
1: a name, he didn't he wasn't infamous or notorious or famous. Do you mean like he was No, he was he was only he's only about fourteen or fifteen at the time. Yeah. Right, yes. Yeah. Maybe so fifty
2: I think I'm three or four years older than him. So he was okay. like maybe fifteen, sixteen, yeah. So yeah, he was
1: he wasn't pro. Uh he hadn't, you know. He was Mr. Nobody right? is effectively what you mean. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. He's just a, just another another regular, regular uh fighter in in Cuss's camp. He had a bunch of It was probably about 10 of them. And uh uh yeah. So Cuss invited me to stay, and I uh, declined and uh I, you know i declined because i they were talking and then i said to him i says because at the time i was always aware of the damage that boxing can cause to your brain and i, I said the Cuss, i says uh, what what time you know what type of headgear do you use not that i wanted any speci- specific type of headgear but i just was trying to find out you know about this so he says we don't use headgear in sparring i was like i'm not going to go up and spar with no headgear you know I mean, uh, they say that the damage is, is, is not that much less, but it it, it uh, softens the blow somewhat. Uh, so I uh, I declined his offer. And uh, the next year, that was in 84. And next year, in 80, 1985, 80, I won the gong Gloves.
1: And, of course, that's when Tyson broke through and became an aim as well, isn't it? Or Yeah, yeah, around then, yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: So you, you uh, do you ever uh, regret your decision? I guess your decision was made in the good in the purest of fate. You know, you wanted to protect long term health and also do you look back at it and think, well, you know, I can't second guess the younger me. Yeah. I made the right call yeah. for the right reason. I made the call for the right reasons.
2: Yeah. It's funny at diff- different
1: at different stages in your life I have
2: I haven't fought it in, in over, over 20 years, more and more. And uh, yeah, I have thought I like, wonder what it would have been like if I did go, you know? And uh uh I uh, I I know I would have had a great trainer uh, cuz I didn't I never really had a great trainer. Uh I would have a great trainer and who knows maybe won a, won a world title or something but but I I have to say that I don't regret a thing. Nothing
1: nothing. You've said to me that um in a different conversation you said that you believe that you would have challenged for or won a world title had you had better training, a better a better trainer. So maybe that's Yeah.
2: Yeah yeah totally actually the last trainer I had who was Joe Fariello who's from costalo's camp uh he um i trained with him for about three or four about three months and he says he he proclaimed me as the best cruiserweight in the world which i, I you know i was i was i was i just I, I learned so much from him how to box in about three months and i and and before that i really and truly never really had a um um legitimate trainer never you know i I, uh uh, i had a couple of guys i had uh, the baffy brothers who were great they were older and and uh um neither of them were fighters uh they never retrained anybody that was um very good they one guy who fought way back some rocky some guy named rocky also but way back in the 50s apparently yeah but uh and uh, Nick, my the main guy, he was friends with Customado, or he knew Cuss. But uh because uh, when 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 I actually think I had considered going go with Cuss, uh, even though the the the, uh, the uh, difference of opinion about the headgear. But when when I went back to Brooklyn from this is up in the in the Catskills, back to Brooklyn, uh the next day, or the next time I saw Nick in the gym, he he was you know my, my one of my trainers. He said to me, "Oh, you saw Cus because guess Cus Cus called him and says, hey, Seamus is up here,' and uh, 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 and Nick was very protective about me not going up there or staying with him, you know."
1: Yeah, and of course, you would have been a meal ticket possibly, but not you know that that's the selfishness of boxing as well. But also, like he probably had good reasons as well to protect you but you know to you you were potentially a hot property and as well and uh
0: yeah don't li- don't yeah. leave me yeah. <laughs>
1: i want my 10 percent um <laughs> exactly um, yeah what was it like for 30, you A, a 30 33 30
2: 33 percent
1: and a young irish guy coming up and um, movie star looks seamus you know yourself yeah, uh, you can fight. You're uh-huh. in great shape. Um, you're articulate. Yeah. Uh, an immigrant yeah. from Ireland. What was New York like? A playground for a young Irishman in the day. And w- did alcohol become a figure in your life earlier in as a teenager in Ireland, or was it when you went to New York and you started kind of becoming a man? Was is that when it kind of took hold in your life?
2: Well, I I always I loved to drink. I uh, had my first drink when the Pope came to Ireland. <laughs> uh, my school from Kilcock, we went to uh, Christian Brothers School. We all went to see the Pope in Galway Racetrack. And we we're all corralled into this little area. And uh, I was so shy, shut down. I never had, had uh, even though know, Actually, I did have a drink when I was with eight, or nine, eight or nine in England. And uh, I remember I woke up the next day. I drank one one beer. I just downed the whole beer. And I woke up the next day craving alcohol which is a sign of alcoholism when you crave alcohol so i ran downstairs looking for the alcohol and i saw it in the crate over beside my my father and i knew it was for the adults so i didn't even try to get any of it but uh uh, uh so the pope came to ireland and i would see the pope uh with the school and i, I snuck away from the from all from, from the uh cbs group that I'd had uh, yeah. uh we're all corralled in the little area, and I started to head towards the altar. And uh, I tried to, you know, walk in past the past, you know, the, the security. And they said, "Where are you going?" I said, "Oh." So I walk back out, and and uh, I was walking back, and I found in my pocket a little badge that had someone had written it with a with a felt tip. They written steward on it. So I put it on my lapel. I went to a different entrance. And uh, I just walked right in and 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 the, one of the uh stewards said, Where are you going? I says, I'm with the Pope's special security. I just walked right up on the altar. So I was up on the altar for the whole the whole evening, uh helping them get the altar ready. And uh, I found I I noticed that the at the Pope's throne or his chair was all wet. So I told them all they changed the changed the the uh, the top of it or the the cloth that was on there and and uh, then, uh, of course, I'm up all night, so I fell asleep. And uh, the, the Mass was the next day, and right before he left um, the stage, uh, the altar, I should say, uh, he made this big statement. He was, you know, he was the first Polish Pope. Uh, he made a statement, he says, Young people of Ireland, I love you! And uh, and the whole place went crazy, <laughs> shouting and screaming, woke me up. And uh, and uh, and I made my way way towards the the front of the where we were sitting. it comes down off the altar, and as he was passing me, I felt this movement to grab him on the way by, and, but I didn't. I, I <laughs> all the all these security guys got in the way and they blocked me. And uh, uh, so I always make the joke that that I uh, I met the Pope and I felt the power. And about an hour later, I was on the bus, and someone handed me a pint of Snidex uh and i drank it and uh, and
1: I met god yeah yeah you really now had a religious experience an hour later <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly i thought you were yeah. gonna say that you drank the pope's wine there and uh, that was it or... <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> would been I mean, the story yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so like i mean i guess at the start it, it it's something fun it's something that's not too harmful did it, did it affect your training as a young boxer, as you, you ha- would have had ambitions, I'm sure, like everybody, of being a world champion or going to the Olympic Games or whatever that might be. Um
2: yeah, it wasn't much. So much the Olympic Games, it's because it, wh- whoever my, at my age, I missed. I don't know what the what years they were. Uh, uh, I missed from like I say, I say it was I was over there when I was 19 in New York, and then four years later it would have been 23. So I actually turned pro at twenty-two, uh, right before, you know, probably the a year before the Olympic Games. So I'd missed that three before would have been 18. So it just didn't work out for me. Yeah. Uh
1: but um
2: uh what were we talking about there? What we're just are just saying, did did, did
1: did drinking affect your oh. your your best laid plans in boxing effectively?
2: I, I, w- I would say it it does. Yeah, it, it did. I I uh not so much in in Ireland because we had no money to drink, really, you know. But you know, you still managed to have a few drinks. So somehow, uh, but but over in New York, uh, my first job was was a uh, 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 an elevator, putting put these elevator doors up on Fifth Avenue, across from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's a really nice area up there. And uh, when when my friends back in Ireland found out that I was uh, working on elevators, they said, "What are you doing?" <laughs> Pushing buttons and that better but uh, but uh, we we were installing the the doors and the frames and and uh I did that fall and I hated it I went back to Ireland, fought in, fought in the in the in the seniors that time and um then came i hated coming back to America again, but I came back and then I got a job driving the horse and carriages around central park and I loved it I had the freedom to to ride a horse around all around new york uh and making Three or four or five times as much money, and then they start drinking. They start the dressing, the drinking really started. And uh, I would um, there was a bar up on Eighty Sixth Street on the East Side in in Yorkville. There was a girl up there that I liked also, so I, I'd start heading up there. Excuse me, and um, bar was called Fleming's, and there was a, a singer called Sean Fleming. He had a, he had a band that so they'd be playing every every. Thursday, Friday and Saturday and Sunday nights. So I'd spend every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night in there, closing the bar at four in the morning, and then going down downtown to this the stables, which is in Hell's Kitchen on 37th Street and 11th Avenue, go down there, and I couldn't make it home uh back out to Brooklyn, which is about an hour away, uh half hour driving, but like probably an hour and a half on the train. So I would go get to the stables, uh, get inside find my carriage and sleep in my carriage so the next morning when they came to open the stables i was already there i was i spent spent the night there so uh, that happened so many times i do that and uh uh yeah uh but but then i I would i would always stop drinking about a month before the fight and uh uh, but i never i never knew that alcohol is was so bad for you you know i mm-hmm. just i just it made me feel good you know i, I didn't know that so uh,
1: yeah so, you're you're enjoying you know, your life you're a high high you know yeah escapades and yeah having the yeah, crack yeah. and uh yeah. yeah yeah it's not you're yeah. you're still going to training and you're still performing as you see fit. Yeah. but you probably we didn't know about sports science and high performance and the negative effects of alcohol. Totally, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, do you do you believe exactly. that you're developing? I suppose yeah. you had the taste. You had the taste. Right, for sure. Right? Yes, I was. A playground. I, 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 he,
2: totally, totally, yeah. And I, I, uh, you could drink until four in the morning, and then he go to the after hours out in Queens or somewhere, you know, or, or you score, they sell beer in, in, in the, in the in shops in New York. But, uh I take it for the
1: Irish emigrant in, in the 80s in New York, just like in London uh, in the same time period. Yeah. Like, it was centrally focused around alcohol as well. Sport and alcohol. I would also.
2: say, yes. I would say it's the same thing, the same thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, when I was 21, I, I, I uh, had a car and I, woke I, I, let, I was up at fleming's drinking and uh the bar uh the uh, one of the bouncers said he almost uh took the keys off me when i was walking out the door i mean i drove drunk you know so uh i didn't hurt anybody thank god uh but i woke up the next day with the car halfway on the sidewalk like half on the street down on like 13th street near the village and no idea how i got in there i'm 21 what am i doing with my life i just you know it was a, like a moment of clarity for me and uh, I uh, said I have to stop drinking, you know. So I swore off drinking, and and uh, it was coming. It's a very busy time on the horse and carriages around Christmas time in New York. So I saved a bunch of money, and um, I uh, uh, bought a fire engine red Camaro, like James Gar- Gardner from the Rockford Files, <laughs> and uh, I would late when the late night shows we used to watch. And uh, it was with the car, uh, had a bit of money and uh and then i thought what am i gonna do now there's no you know, there's no working in january and february in new york it's too cold so i thought well my, my a good friend of mine chris Byrne, had gone to uh st john's university which is just a 15 minute drive from where i lived in in uh in brooklyn Bay Ridge, over the verzano bridge uh to uh grimes hill where st john's university was so i drove across the bridge and uh uh Thank God I had a copy of my leaving cert from Ireland, uh, which I didn't do that good in, but I passed and all that stuff. And I showed them, the, showed them that, and they admitted me uh, to uh, go to college. And uh, the first uh, semester I went there, I took uh, 12 credits. I go Tuesday and Thursday from 8 in the morning till 4. An 8-hour day. Hey, i taken four classes, 12 credits. And that's the same semester I won the Golden Gloves. And uh, uh, and I uh, digress again. Go ahead.
1: No, no, that, that actually leads us perfectly yeah. into because I know you made yeah. your professional debut, just you went pro in a bid to kind of help you, you know, finish college and help you pay for the tuition fees and stuff like that. So that debut did come on uh, around a busy time where you're still working in the horse and carts as well. But December the 10th, 1985 in Atlantic City, you fought uh, Kevin Denson and stopped him in the second of four rounds. The Famous Frank Cappuccino was the referee. I see looking back at the record books. Um, how did you end up in Atlantic City? Who did you do your first deal with to, to turn pro? Were you being managed or were you in with top rank or whoever you know, the promoter at the day? Just at the time, no, I'm sure
2: there were a few offers from different people, but nothing. Uh, it, it was a lot less organized back then, it's also 85, you know, and I, I, uh didn't know if I was going to go turn term pro. Uh, I needed the money to pay for college. But I said, yeah, I said, I agreed to term pro if they paid me, you know, uh, $10,000. Uh, so, they, so they they they, they um, and paid me $2,500 first, then $2,500 after a couple of months, and another twenty five. dollars eventually it was $10,000 or something. And uh, so I had the first fight. And then they got three or four fights that year and paid for college and uh, so i was going to school and then i then i realized i couldn't survive on the, on the money they gave me so i made them ask them for more money if they paid me so much a month after that also which helped a lot and i didn't ever do the horse and carriages again i think maybe one or two days after that i quit i quit quit that job and uh just uh um you know was climbing up the ranks
1: and uh did was did unbeaten Sorry to, sorry to interrupt you. Um, Did no. the, did the um, fast, steep rise of Barry McGuigan, your old amateur opponent and friend, did that lead to yeah. opportunities for the likes of you in the United States and all? Because I know in your third fight, you came back to Ireland and boxed at the RDS. McGuigan was was making a defensive as WBA featherweight uh, crown against uh, Cabrera. You came back and boxed yes. at the RDS. But did it lead to opportunities for you in the States as well? Because like, we saw many years later, you know, McGregor, suddenly he gets famous, starts winning fights, other Irish fighters then, oh, let's get this Irish guy. Yeah. Maybe he can be the... You know, so did, did McGuigan's yeah. rise? Because he was a massive deal, wasn't he? Oh, huge, huge. Uh,
2: with uh, his manager was, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mr. Eastwood. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Eastwood. Mr. Eastwood. Barney Eastwood, yes. Yes, yes, Barney Eastwood. Um, Mickey Duff was the promoter on that fight in at the RDS. And um, he thought I should be... He says... When he Saw me, he says, You're a heavyweight. He said the same thing as Ali, you're a heavyweight. You should be a light heavyweight. Uh so um I fought Tony tricker that day and the four rounds also. It just wasn't the same opportunity that you have now. Uh and I did I didn't uh, like I had the same uh man, uh trainers, Joe and Nick Baffy, train me in the amateurs for, the, for for three years in the Golden Gloves. And then we uh, moved into the pros. There was no other, nobody. There was some, some peripheral offers coming around, but nobody definitively just came and uh, gave, gave, handed me a check or anything, or, or maybe an offer. And I found out afterwards that possibly that they that there was um, the people were afraid to because of the guys I was associated with, because they were probably connected to some other people, you know. So so nobody really made me an offer, and uh, were they
1: off, were they off that ilk like old school maybe Italian or were they, were they mob connected or? I, I don't know. I think I I know one, I know one of the I had, we had another guy who jumped in with us also, and I won't won't
2: say his name, but he uh, he 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 was definitely connected. Yeah, and uh, you know there was never. No one ever threatened me or anything that ever happened. And and uh at the time I didn't care. I was kind of fearless about it all and and I didn't I didn't care, you know, and uh uh but but I'll tell you one thing, um I was so shy, shut down, reserved, couldn't open my mouth. When I won the Golden Gloves, it dramatically changed my life. Uh I I I thought I was the ugliest guy in the world. I thought I, I I'm I I uh, I don't have an college college education. I uh, I can't converse with people. I can't talk. I have no. I'm, I'm I'm boring, you know. But when I when I won the golden gloves, it gave me that little bit of self esteem and, and a little, little um, bit of weight behind uh, being somebody. And uh, um, it was a dramatic change in my life. Dramatic change.
1: That's good to hear. I can't imagine you were ever. Even at the height of your fame, like a big shot. But it's nice to hear that a a large, a big sporting victory can give you that self esteem that you were looking for, that you lacked previously. Yeah. Yeah. The string of knockouts was to help us. I was going to say fourteen of your first seventeen
2: won by knockout, like in, uh, in the professionals. Well, a lot of a uh, lot of them weren't actually knockouts. They, they call TTO, TKO TTOs. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, contest
1: yeah. or whatever
2: it is, yeah, yeah. But they're considered, they're considered knockouts. Uh, yeah, that was it. And, and then next thing, you're 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 I'm, I'm walking around the college campus. I'm a star. People are stopping me in the street. You know, that, you know, a little bit of fame. Uh, it's you know good for the good for the ego, you know, and. Uh, uh, I never thought that I was some arrogant, arrogant man, or or that I was better than anybody. Really, I just, uh, I just was kind of be kind, like you know, you know. Yeah, my one of my one of my mottoes I live by now is you can never go wrong with kindness. Yeah, because you can't. Every, everybody, everybody suffers in this world at some, at some to some degree. Did you benefit Everywhere. a
1: little bit from the um, the kindness of strangers in this? You know the way they say, like a another like i think paul mcgrath made his debut for ireland in 1985 just like you made your you know your pro debut 85
2: yeah McGrath yeah. made
1: his debut 85 against italy just off the top of my head but you know yeah. he was a burgeoning alcoholic and his fame and people buying him points over the years led him yeah, yeah. on the path and you know from 1982 shameless darby from county Offaly scored that whole yeah. nigger of a goal against kerry to deny them to the drive for five to five in a row and yeah. uh, never has to put his hand in his pocket for a pint again did it does that exacerbate the problems as well? Well, uh,
2: people weren't buying me drink. <laughs> Not offering, anyway. So, so worried. You know,
1: I was off mostly doing the buying, um, but like ticket sales yeah, I mean, in New York as well are based on you. You need to be in the Irish bars, don't you? Like. We've seen in recent years, like Matthew Macklin, John Duddy, even Emmett Brennan recently, they've all mentioned you need to be able to go into the bars, sell the tickets. Lou DiBella is a massive component of it. An Irish guy needs to go to the bars, be known. Exactly. And I suppose that's what I'm inquiring about.
2: The day of a fight for me, even the pro fights, I would be going around to maybe 10 bars around Manhattan, picking up tickets I dropped off to sell. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just what I was doing, you know?
1: Yeah. You became a regular bars, though right? at 10. Um, you, be, you became a New York stable um, for sure. Like your fourth fight was at the at Madison Square Garden, then a regular at the Felt Forum. Um, yeah. S- seven in a row actually after your first, the first little glitch on your record, I guess, was a. Uh, you went in at 9-0 and against a guy, uh, something you share in common with uh, Andy Lee. You fought a guy called Billy Saunders, but you had a draw yes. with him in Staten Island. Was that yes. a setback or is that just a learning experience? You went the distance, you didn't get the decision, and
2: uh, you t- yeah. you
1: know take it on the chin.
2: I guess I was I was kind of taking the boxing for granted then, and uh, it actually it it, it it boosted my career because then I realized that I almost lost a fight there, and and uh, uh, I got to uh, do some research, and I, I, uh, uh, I started I studying about diet and about training methods and on all the stuff and uh, it, uh, it 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 was it was good for me the the, the, the draw and um yeah like uh, but I, but like i said uh, i didn't have the trainers it d- wasn't there even though i i would see teddy atlas in the gym every day and i actually when when i when i uh, lost to holyfield uh, after that loss to holyfield I told my managers I wanted to change man- managers and uh, they they were against it and, and they were good friends with Teddy, but uh, uh, I asked Teddy to be my trainer. And he he was such such a loyal guy to Teddy and to Nick. He was friends with Nick. He said he wouldn't do it. He couldn't do it because, uh, you know, I, I knew why I knew why.
1: Yeah, that's an awful pity because, like you know, despite maybe being not having the greatest guidance in the corner and in your career, like you yeah. did, you achieved so much, like from being a staple, obviously, like I said, at the Felt Forum. Your first loss, unfortunately, came in your 14th fight. Yeah. A guy called Mike Peak. Uh, Mike Peak, yeah, yeah. Mike Peake, yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Mike, Mike, Mike was, a, was a, a little bit lighter than me, and he ran all the time, you know, and I couldn't catch him. I couldn't catch him. I learned a lot from that fight, learned so much from that fight. And th- my next fight, I fought a guy that drew with him, Vince Hopper. Who actually drew, uh, drew? He drew. He drew. He actually went by the beaten might peaks at one stage. Uh, they, had, they had quite a few fights uh, together. But um, at the time, also Teddy Atlas was training a, a fighter from New Jersey called uh, Chris Reed, who actually passed away with a heart attack and uh, not too long ago. And Chris was uh, world ranked for the world title in Italy. Uh, he, uh, uh, he he and this guy Vince Hopper drew. But when I saw, uh, saw it was, you know, I used to spark Chris all the time. I said, I'll fight him. I'll fight him next. And I, was, I lost a few pounds, got down on weight, and I beat him. I beat him. And that uh, 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 propelled me into some other bigger fights uh, around.
1: What was your money punch, Seamus? What was the, all those knockouts, those 14 knockouts in your first 17? What was the money punch?
2: Well, according to Evander Holyfield, I had, I had one of the best left hooks he's ever hit with. Uh, left hook yeah practice which, from the, the early days yeah I, I i start doing it in in baconstown in the uh little gym we had in baconstown which is the second um location we had at st patrick's box in was is
1: Baconstown. and i i i just walked around relentlessly did you um was it something that you like to throw frequently or did you like to disguise it and whip it out when the time was right or did you did you bomb it all all even longer what was it what was your method i didn't i i because i never had the uh uh,
2: the right trainers i didn't capitalize on it either and and uh i was going in there blind going in the blind just uh winging it uh, it, yeah yeah, winging it yes yeah
1: a big fight in your career cecil coffee you're 16 one and one uh
2: yeah
1: showboat uh showboat casino in, in atlantic city
2: uh, yeah.
1: Donald Trump's territory, really, isn't it, down in Atlanta? Yeah, city? yeah. You know, he's making a big yeah. deal in the 1980s. Yeah. A lot of excitement mm. around uh, around your name at this stage. You knew Trump, mm. didn't you, back in the day?
2: I, um, he actually, <coughs> uh, when I fought Holyfield, uh, he was at the convention center. So he owned the casino right next door to it. And and uh, it was, you know, he, he was there. So. After the fight, uh, the holy fight with Holyfield, he came in the dressing room and said, "You put up a great fight. We want you to fight here, monks. The place was sold out, and uh, 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 I'll never forget it. And and it still shocks me to this day. When I got on the ring, uh, you know, they announced my name and uh, my record, and big roar from the crowd. Then they announced Evander's name and record, and twice as twice as loud a roar from the crowd." And, it, and I was like, what? Then I realized am I, you know, that, I, that I'm in with somebody who uh, has more people following him than I had. So a bit of a shock. Just these little things like that and uh, and the speed. He was so fast uh, and uh, uh, it's a shock, just a huge shock to the system. And and uh, so I, uh, yeah, it took me so- a while to, to settle down.